February 19th when I was 15 years old and um, I just started feeling really sick and I started throwing up and I um, thought, okay, I have the flu. And then um, the next day, everything that I ate, jello or ice or anything, I threw it up. She became dehydrated real quickly, so we brought her to her doctor and he admitted her right away. We spent about 12 days there and she continued to lose weight and continued to really decline. They looked at her and they saw uh, a blonde girl that said cheerleader on her shirt and they assumed that she was doing something, causing herself to throw up. They put a tube down my nose to feed me and um, they said, you know, that I could go home and basically when I wanted to stop throwing up that I could. I was scared at and um, I had people talking about me, you know. My local doctor had said, you know, this is just unacceptable. And he said, well, um, I'm going to go ahead and put a surgical G&J tube in your stomach. And one would feed me into my intestines and one would drain my stomach. I thought that when I got this drainage tube that at least I would be able to drink things, you know, and I wouldn't have to throw them up. I could just drain them out and it would be this great thing. But um, it wasn't because whenever I did that, I was actually doing damage. We would hook her up to a pump for 12 hours overnight and it would pump a liquid diet into her intestines. I didn't sit with my parents at dinner anymore. I couldn't watch that. And psychologically, I think that was the worst I ever saw Erin because she literally knew that the way this was going, she couldn't put anything in her mouth. I closed myself off from my friends. I closed myself off from my family. And I, um, I did my thing because I felt like I couldn't relate with other people. I was um, 85 pounds and I was in the hospital 300 days and two and a half years. And I wasn't able to go to the football games. I wasn't able to go to the basketball games. I wasn't able to be outside because I could catch something. There was a time when I was like angry with God because I was saying, just give me a reason. Let me know what is going on. If I know what's going on, I can deal with it. I didn't think he didn't care, I didn't think he didn't love me, but I thought that he just must not be involved in this because everything about it sucks. At this point, we were seeing every type of doctor. They came in and started her on steroids. And within three days, she was able to process food. And so for the first time in five months, she was able to eat something. Then I had, like, I had food, french fries, fattening food, everything else that night and it just, it, you know, I was fine. Now, a girl who started out at maybe 105 or 10 pounds, went down to 80 pounds on two feedings, went up to 130 on steroids. Then they were telling me, Erin, you have to come off of these steroids. You have to go back to throwing up because you're killing yourself. You're not gonna live to see 25 if you stay on the doses that you're on. I had to just say, okay, God, if this is what you have for me, then I need your help with that. I can't do it on my own. It was around October, I started to um, just get very tired and get pain, a lot of pain in my stomach. Her liver was failing, but they decided that she wasn't physically strong enough, it wasn't worth the risk to do the surgery. When I looked at her, I knew it was bad. She was the worst I'd ever seen her. And an hour and a half later, I was in intensive care waiting to go to the waiting to go to surgery. I didn't know what was going on and I was getting scared. So that was scary. That was scary for her that she was not going to be strong enough to survive the surgery. And um, 
we prayed together, and yet, as quickly as that thought came, again, her personality and her um, attitude was, it has to be done, let's take care of business. I never could really face the possibility that she was not gonna live through this. She was in ICU for about nine days, and her first coherent words were that God had given her a second chance. And I got off steroids, and I got off my chemo, and I'm off everything now. To this day, we do not have a diagnosis of her original disease. We don't know what caused this to start. We don't know, uh, really, why it seems to be going away right now. But for the first time, there are more good days than bad now. The only way that I was able to get through it was knowing that God's in control. I can look back now and I can see that even when I thought that I was dealing with it on my own and that I was in this by myself, that I wasn't. I wish that this wouldn't have happened, but I don't regret what happened. I don't regret what I learned. I can't think of anywhere else that I'd rather be right now than where I'm at in my life. I've got to be honest with you, when I first saw that video, I thought to myself, I don't know. If I spent 400 days in the hospital in a three-year span of time, if I could say what Aaron said, that I wish it hadn't happened, but I don't regret what I've learned. No answers, no diagnosis. A lot of time, 400 days of her life taken and spent in a hospital. And yet her perspective and her attitude amazes and challenges me. And it presents us with a question I want us to wrestle through today. Can pain be our teacher? And if so, what can we learn? Is there something that we can glean through the hardships and the struggles of life? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray together one more time this morning. I just need God to work in our hearts, so let's pray. Father, I don't want to come across today as if I have some simple, pat answers. I, I know that many of us, God, have suffered great loss some are going through it right now. And what I do pray is that the God of all comfort would come and wrap his arms around us today. And that somehow you would give us a, even just a marginally different perspective. Something that we would see differently than perhaps we've seen before. And that you would help us then to leave here transformed and changed because of that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And like many of you, I've experienced plenty of loss in my life. Um, when I was a kid, lost my grandpa. Uh, in high school, lost my uh, grandmas, both my grandmothers. Uh, I remember the first really traumatic loss I experienced was a friend of mine who uh, died in a car accident. It was in high school. Uh, this last week, uh, I've lost two of my heroes. My Uncle Jack, he was 97 years old, and he was ready to go home. But he died on Wednesday. And uh, seriously, one of my heroes, a man of God, who'd been a missionary for decades and just uh, lived the adventure of following Jesus. And then last night, as I got online just before I went to bed, I saw that Jerry Cook, uh, Pastor Jerry Cook, uh, again, one of my heroes, uh, one of the guys that I have admired for decades, literally decades. In fact, I quote him, a long quote in my book, in chapter 7 of Jerry, uh, passed away yesterday. We've experienced lots of loss. You know that in my life, I experienced the loss of my faith in my 20s, um, if you've been around here, the most difficult loss to date that I've ever gone through was the loss of my grandson Phineas back in March of 2008. 
experienced the loss of some health as I dealt with prostate cancer a couple years ago. And, and then like you, I've experienced the loss of some dreams and hopes along the way. Now, I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories, and, and, uh, but I know that some of you have experienced the loss of a marriage, the loss of a job, the loss of your health. Uh, a couple of people this last few weeks, I've talked to the, my neighbors, loss of a pet, family pet. And boy, that's, I know the pain of that. And of course, many of us have gone through the loss of loved ones and family members. A young woman in our church, uh, hardly anybody here probably knows her, but at Christmas time, she lost her seven-month-old baby, and we have wept with her and wept for her. The reality of loss is painfully difficult to face. And live long enough, uh, that reality becomes all too familiar. Last week, Pastor Jeff eloquently put something into two words that <laughs> I hope you heard. Uh, stuff happens. Stuff that we would never choose and lots of us would never uh, want or never saw coming happens. And if, by the way, if you missed Pastor Jeff's message last week, I want to encourage you to go online at eastpointchurch.org and listen to that because he addressed the why, at least some of the why is there pain and suffering. Today, my commitment to you, avoiding any pat answers. I promise you, I am not going to just give you uh, a, a few slick Christianese answers to our problem. But avoiding those, I do want to take a look at what pain and loss can teach us. I want to introduce to you the possibility of finding some redemptive meaning and even hope in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our troubles, in the midst of hardship. And for the record, I do believe it's possible to grow through our pain and to grow through our suffering, even when, maybe especially when, there's no happy ending to our story, at least on this side of eternity. In fact, I want to suggest that in some ways, all of us are the walking wounded. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm pretty sure I've already dialed up some emotion, some experience, some memory that you've had, and that if we were to be honest, all of us would say, man, I, I, there's a part of me that's still bleeding. I am the walking wounded. We all walk with a limp. We all have been broken, by, broken at least at some point in our lives by unexplainable events. And yet, though we are the walking wounded, I sincerely believe that we can become walking wounded lovers who do not only grow through our pain, but we can become instruments of compassion to others as well. Walking wounded, yes, but the potential for becoming walking wounded lovers is there as well. And so what can pain and loss teach us? Well, there are probably quite a few things we could cover, but let me highlight two that I think are the most significant this morning. And the first one, number one, if you're taking notes today, we can learn compassion through our crisis. We can learn compassion through our crisis, through our struggles. Let me ask you a question. First pop quiz today, ready? How does a person best become a compassionate person? How do you and I best grow in compassion? Is it by reading about compassion? Yeah, it might help, at least give us an understanding. Is it by studying sympathy and care? Again, not wrong to do so. Is it by watching the kindness of others and trying to mimic their lifestyle, their way of being compassionate? Certainly not a bad idea, but I wonder how deep that really goes. How do you and I best become compassionate people? Well, is it by experiencing the pain and the sorrow of life that we actually there learn how to have empathy for others? I think so. And by the way, there is a difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy is when we deeply feel the emotions being experienced by another because we've been there. Sympathy is relating through pity. 
Empathy is relating through pain. Let me say that again. Sympathy is relating through pity, and there's nothing wrong with that, but empathy is when we relate through pain. You feel empathy when you've been there, and sympathy when you haven't. Essentially, it's the difference between feeling bad for someone and literally feeling their despair because you know exactly what they're going through. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm convinced of this, the compassion is way more effectively developed in our lives when we have empathy, when we've suffered what someone else has suffered. We have compassion that develops that in us when we know where they're at because we've been there. Now having said that, I do want to just insert something very important for you to understand this morning because I think there's a lot of confusion about this. I want to be clear about this. God does not want us to suffer. He is a loving and good father. And no loving and good father would want to inflict his child with a disease or with suffering just to teach them a lesson. But, and here's the the hard part on this, God in his sovereignty, in his greater love for us, will use whatever we go through in this world. And again, Pastor Jeff did a great job last week of explaining some of the whys. He'll use those things in our life to develop us, to train us, to help us become more like him. God knows that our pain and struggle, our heartache and our suffering can in fact make us more like him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse three to four says this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Verse four, he comforts us in all our troubles. I love this verse. Some of you need to memorize this verse. God, he comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. This says that God is the source of all comfort. Do you need to be comforted this morning? I want to invite you. I want to encourage you. Run to him. God is the source of all comfort. And it says here, it's a promise that he will, in fact, comfort us in uh, all our troubles. Now, sometimes that does not bring the solution that we long for. It doesn't bring the answers that we long for, but he's there. He's with us every step along the way. Erin in that video was powerful. She says, I knew I was not alone, that God was with me. And his intent for you and me, God's bigger picture his, his goal for us is that we would, in fact, comfort others in the same way that we've been comforted. I received an email some time ago from a young mother who lost a child through SIDS. And she was angry at God. And she asked the question that many of us ask, how could a good and loving God let something so horrible happen? And I heard her frustration as she wrote to me. She said, if one more person If one more Christian tells me that my baby's in a better place, I'm going to hurt them. And you know, sometimes, let's, I'll own this, let's just be real. Sometimes we don't know what to say. And so, frankly, we say really stupid things to people. They're bleeding out, they're in pain, they're experiencing this great loss. And we come along and feel like, well, isn't isn't it great that they're at least in a better place? Well, when you've just lost a child, when you've lost a grandson like I have, when you've lost someone you love, That's not very comforting at that moment. And she also told me in this email, she said, if you you intend to quote scriptures to me, don't bother. Well, I'm pretty sure I surprised her when my response to her was to tell her about my grandson, Phineas. She didn't know. And I told her how much I hurt and how many long and hard conversations, some of you around back then, some of you know how difficult it was for me and how 
frustrating and angry and, and, and disappointed. I, some of you understand that. Some of you had no idea. But I told her about these long, hard conversations I had with God over my grandson's death. And I told her, listen, I know exactly how you feel. Now, I wish I didn't. With all my heart, I wish I didn't. But I did. And the best thing that I could say to her was, I am so sorry. I ache with you. I ache over your loss. I think we forget these simple words of Paul found in Romans 12, 15. Or we tend to land on the first part. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Paul, towards the end of this great book of Romans, becomes extremely practical and gives all sorts of admonition and ways that we're to live, how-tos, things that we're to do in our relationship with others. And Paul says in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. If you need a party verse for Christians, there it is. Rejoice when there's something to celebrate and we can high-five each other and enjoy the, the moment, the experience. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. But the second half of that verse says mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Ache with those who ache. You know, one of the truths that I want you to leave here with it is that we don't have to be the Bible answer man or woman for people. I don't feel like I have to do that. I've been studying the Word of God for 40 years. And I've been a pastor for over, for over 35. And yes, the Bible is truth. Yes, there are great, great scripture verses we can use and encourage one another in. But I, do, I have no need, I feel no need to be the Bible answer man for people. Because sometimes the most powerful thing that we can do is simply hold them and weep with them. As God holds us, we hold them. As God weeps with us, we weep with them. As God identifies with their loss, and trust me, God identifies with their loss. Can I just remind you, he knows what it's like to lose his one and only son. He knows the, the pain, the agony of loss. And we can identify with those in that valley of the shadow of death as God does. And we learn compassion through our crisis. Wish there were easier ways to learn it. But the truth of the matter is, when we suffer and we experience that comfort that comes from God, the Holy Spirit, and the comfort that comes from his body, the bride of Christ, others around us, that's what he wants us to do then, is in turn comfort others. We learn compassion through crisis in our life. It's the best way. Here's the second thing I want you to see today. Number two, we learn patience through our pain. How many of you just love learning patience? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, pop quiz number two. How do we best learn patience? Is it when everything is peachy keen in our lives? Do you ever, I don't know, anybody use that phrase anymore? I'm so old. Is it when, you, is it when everything's just going the way you really want it to go, when life is just rock, rocks for you? Is it when your dreams come true sooner than you expected? Is it when you get what you get exactly when you want it? Or, you already know the answer, is patience truly developed while we wait and often wait in agony. I have never met anyone who really thrives and loves to wait. Some of you are way more patient than I am, but we all struggle with this, and that is exactly where we learn patience, in the midst of struggle. I wanna give you a great definition of patience right out of the dictionary, but man, I read it a couple days ago that this is this, I hate this. But here it is. Patience is the state of endurance under difficult circumstances 
which can mean persevering in the face of delay or provocation without acting on annoyance or anger in a negative way. I, I, I was dead right there. It is exhibiting forbearance when under strain, especially when faced with longer-term difficulties. Now, again, how many of you read that and go, sign me up, God. That's awesome. I want more patience. I mean, if that's the definition, most of us go, man, I'd rather learn something else. Thank you very much. Two and a half years ago, I mentioned I, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer almost three years ago, actually, and I ended up having surgery. Long story, but that was the route we took. You need to hear me say this. I appreciate modern medicine. I have doctors who are friends. I value hospitals. I truly do. But I also hate them. And I hate the whole experience. And uh, going in for surgery was not something that I uh, enjoyed at all. And I ended up spending three days, a couple nights in Sacred Heart. And it was not fun. It was miserable. But the worst part about it was within just a few hours after my surgery, I developed the worst case of hiccups I'd ever had in my life. Some of you remember me telling you about that? I'm not kidding. I mean, I was nonstop. I couldn't talk very easily, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing for some people. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. It was difficult to sleep. I, it was difficult to eat. And I just, I don't want to get too graphic, and I certainly, you know, I'm not sure I really want you to imagine my belly right now. But I had six scars, six incisions. They had robotic surgery. It's like a robot inside me. And six cuts on my belly. And every time I hiccuped, it was painful. It was not fun. Five days of nonstop hiccups. My wife says, you know you hiccup during your sleep. I said, I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> About three days into it, I was desperate and I was exhausted. And I'm such a weenie, I'll just admit it. Somebody thinking, well, whatever, just get over it. I, I was exhausted, I was miserable, and I tried everything. I mean, I got all sorts of emails from people, and people started hearing and praying for me, and I, I mean, I tried everything. I tried everything from peanut butter to acupuncture. I tried it all. I literally, if it was a, a, a solution, I tried it. And I'm miserable. I'm in pain. It's three days into this. I didn't know how long it was going to last. Somebody actually I read something on the internet which really discouraged me. This person had surgery, and they had hiccups the rest of their life. I hate the internet. A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, and I don't know what to do. Well, I thought, <laughs> I thought, I have this app on my iPad, this, this Bible reading app. You know, you turn it on and this English voice reads the word of God to you. And, and I thought, I'm going to turn this on. Maybe it'll put me to sleep. You know, I'd be honest with you. And I, I just, I found, uh, you know, a, the New Testament clicked on something, and I, I don't even know, I don't remember whether it was a conscious decision, a subconscious decision, or just maybe God, but James is where it started. And maybe you've read the book of James. James chapter two, excuse me, chapter one, verse two to four says this, and this is what I'm listening to. I said, <gasps> no, no, I'm joking. Anyhow. <laughs> Here it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I wanted to chuck my iPad. <laughs> I wanted to hurt that British man. I didn't even know who he is. No, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Let 
perseverance, finish its work, so that you may be, what's the goal? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I heard those words. You need to know that I didn't smile. I didn't laugh. I didn't fist pump. Yeah, God, bring it. I, I, didn't, I wasn't happy. It wasn't the thing I really wanted to hear. But I simply cried out to God. I remember laying in my bed, and I'm, I'm just, the only thing I could say is, God, I hate this. I hate this. And then I started to cry, but whatever it takes, whatever it takes, help me grow through it. I went on for two more days. You know, you're hoping at that moment God would go, okay, you learned your lesson. You know, it's done. <laughs> two more days. How's patience developed? As we practice forbearance when under strain in the face of long-term struggle. Just to make his point clear, James went on to write this in James 5.10. My friends, follow the example of the prophets who spoke for the Lord. They were patient even when they had to suffer. Some of you are dealing with things, with issues that are huge. And it's far more than just a temporary hiccup in your life. It's hell. It's living hell right now. I know. You've got chronic pain. You're thinking, man, you suffered for five days. Try five months or five years or five decades. I know. Some of you have got a broken heart. Some of you have a lost dream. And Proverbs says in Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of you are heart sick right now. I know. And please, please, please hear my heart. I ache for you. The last thing I want to do is give you some pat on the back or some plastic Christian cliche. But can I gently encourage you? We can have hope in the midst of our heartache when we understand and accept that the testing of our faith can. It can help us grow and mature. Now, whether it does or not is in large part up to you. It's up to us. But it can help us grow and mature. And that, my friends, is God's ultimate goal for us. I've said this so many times. Some of you are sick and tired of hearing it, but it's so true. God is way more concerned with your character than he is your comfort. And God's goal for us is to grow, to become more like him. The Apostle Paul, who suffered quite a bit, by the way, wrote these words in Romans 5. We glory in our sufferings. <laughs> because we know, do you know? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Here it is again. This is Paul. James said the same thing. Perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope will not disappoint us, will not put us to shame. I believe with all my heart. I've learned it firsthand. I've watched it in the lives of literally hundreds, maybe thousands of others, that we can learn trust with patience despite our trials, and we can develop hope in the midst of whatever hell on earth we're going through when we zoom out and we see the potential for our spiritual growth right in the midst of that struggle. The question for us is simple. Will we say, like Jesus said in that Garden of Gethsemane, whatever it takes, God, not my will but yours be done. Suffering sucks. You can quote me on that if you'd like. I have never prayed, oh God, please let me suffer more. Not one time 
has that prayer ever crossed my lips. But I have prayed, God, please help me become more like Jesus. God, please mold me into the image of your son. I have prayed, God, whatever it takes. And though I truly wish there was an easier way, more often than not, you and I become more like him in the dark and scary valleys of life through things we do not like, would not choose, and often do not understand. But it's there. We can develop compassion and patience. It's there that we can become more like Jesus. I want to finish with one last story about a friend of mine. And some of you know him. His name's Paul Miller. And I think I can get through this without crying. But I love Paul. He's one of my best friends and has been for 15 plus years. We have worked together, ministered together. He is one of my favorite people on the planet. Great worship leader, great man. He and Amy, his wife, are precious to me. And for a long time, better part of two years, Paul has been suffering and struggling a lot. He has Lyme's disease. One of those things that uh, affects people differently. They haven't completely figured out. They've tried all sorts of things with Paul. They've had some success, but in the last few months, he's really um, gotten worse again. He also has a blood issue, blood situation, and those things combined uh, have created clots, and the clots have been very painful, and they're life-threatening. So he's lost uh, his health. He's lost his job. He's on disability now. Uh, they've lost so much money, so many, many things. And by the way, Paul and Amy Miller are Cammie Bradley's parents. Cammie's going to be here on that night that Paul talks about loss. I visited Paul um, a week ago, Saturday. Spent a couple hours with he and Amy. And while I was there, uh, he had a seizure. And he suffers these every day. And I ache for him. I would do anything. Anything. And there are no answers. The struggle continues. But I'm here to tell you, I have never in my life known two people more like Jesus, more in love with him. Never. Whatever it takes. But I had something to pray for you. Father, I'm very aware right now that emotionally um, some of us are empty, broken, frustrated. Lord, I, I'm sure there's probably one or two sitting in this room or listening to this online and they've given up. They've given up hope. They've given up on you. And instead of somehow, Lord, in the midst of their agony becoming better, they've become bitter. And it's consumed them. And Lord, I know I've been there. My prayer for them right now, oh God, show them that you're God of all comfort. 
wrap your arms around them right now. And as they weep, weep, I know you're weeping with them, God. As they mourn, I know that you mourn the loss as well. But somehow, God, in the midst of all of this, and I suspect it will happen maybe weeks, months, years later, as we look back, that we'll see it. But somehow, in the midst of all of this, God, make us more like you. Make us more like Jesus. We've even learned obedience, it says in Hebrews 5, through the things that he suffered. Help us to surrender and let our cry be the cry of Jesus. Take this cup from me. But God, not my will, but yours be done. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. Or you've wandered far from him. Once upon a time, you gave your life to Jesus. But circumstances hardship, foolish mistakes and taking you far from him. I want to encourage you today to come home. To begin a relationship with God if you've not done that yet. To surrender your life to him. See, he loves you so much that he gave his son's life for you. And if you're here today and you're ready to say yes to God, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer, but I'm going to ask you to make this prayer yours right now. Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you're alive and that you're here right now and that you're calling me to follow you, to surrender my life to you. And so right here, right now, in this moment, I say yes. I surrender my past, my present, my future. It's yours. And I choose to be your son, your daughter, to follow you now from here into all eternity. Thank you for choosing me. Now, if you pray that prayer just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's me. And in that moment, you say yes to him. You become his child. Lord, for those making that decision right now, show them what it means. Show them what you're going to do in and through them. Show them, Lord, this is the beginning. But lead them now from this place, changed forever because of you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song of worship this morning. Ushers are going to come. Uh, This is an important part of our service. There's two things I hope happen here. One is that you allow the Holy Spirit to seal in your heart right now what he's done. As we sing this song, let him work and just kind of seal that. And the other thing I hope is that you'll use this as opportunity, even our giving, as an opportunity to express your worship, your love to God. You surrender even here to Him because of your love. If you got the communication card, the prayer request, or a communication connection card, drop that in the bag as well. But let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. Hey, a couple things before you go today. Thanks for being here. I'm going to encourage you to begin your life as a Christ follower today to do two things. One, tell somebody. Let them know. And two, pick up one of these packets by the doors. It says for new believers. In fact, in the next service, our first steps class, hey, stay around for another hour, hour and a half and, uh, and engage in that. That would be awesome. We've got some of these flyers still available. I'm hoping that you're going to take and invite your friends. 
two more weeks of this series here at East Point on Sunday morning where we're talking about loss. Next week, we're talking about how to engage people and the importance of engaging in the conversation with others that are far from God about loss and how that's an important part of our being a light in the midst of a dark world. But I encourage you, about half the tickets are sold. And again, East Point's not, you know, profiting from this. This is a done outside. We're hosting it. But I would encourage you to invite a friend to come and to uh, get the tickets and don't procrastinate. You might want to pick those up this week. Prayer team will be down front. Sometimes we need real live bodies praying with us and standing with us. And I'll encourage you to come this way instead of going that way if you need prayer today. Of course, communion's available. My prayer for you this week is that you'll go and comfort others with the comfort that God has brought to you. Go in his name. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here.